Attack them fast. Welcome to another episode of Scarlet Jimmy's. This is episode 10 and 2 after 49ers fell 20 to 17 to the Ravens. I think it's easy to, you know, just come away with the sky is falling after every loss. And I mean, the 49ers have only lost twice, but I'm actually leaning the other way. I was more impressed by the 49ers after today, just the way that they battled and hung in there. And they probably should have won just knowing that all the mistakes that they made. But I am joined by Rich again. Rich, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. How are you? Doing well, man. Uh, how, how do you? What's your takeaway? Just before we dig into this game, are you more impressed, less impressed? Nothing, nothing changed. You didn't waver on the 49ers after today. No, not at all. I thought it was a pretty good game. They just, I mean, they'd made the same mistakes they normally do. It's not, it wasn't really a big deal early on, especially. Um, my only gripe with it was the coaching decisions by Shanahan at the end of both halves. So that's the only complaint I have. No sky is falling. This is a, this is about what we expected for this type of game. Yeah, it, that's exactly what it was. And I thought these are pretty clearly, and I and that's you know maybe discounting what the Patriots have done, but I thought that these are two pretty clearly the best teams in the NFL and. We're going to start with the coaching decision, and we're going to start with the end of the half. So Shanahan confirmed after the game that his thought process to in the first half was to keep the ball away from Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. And by doing so, he ran the clock down. They had 49ers offense had two timeouts on the board, and he put Robbie Gold in the situation to kick a 51-yard field goal in windy, rainy elements, and you just can't do that. And there were a lot of people that are agreeing with, like, with Shanahan that he did the right thing at the time in theory. Sure. It was the right thing. You don't want to give Lamar Jackson the ball back with any time left on the clock, but you're just ignoring so much of the game, the game flow and everything that happened. You saw that. So like I was, I was actually one of the people that was pretty vocal how just, it was a bad idea. You just don't do that. And by what essentially what you're doing is you're conceding that, you know, you don't want to score points. And that's what he did. He wasn't being aggressive. Baltimore hadn't stopped them, stopped the 49ers offense the entire time. So uh, Shanahan, he was aggressive all game. I felt like he was aggressive from a fourth down point of view and he played to win the game. But uh, we didn't see that towards the end of the half. What he did was ignore the flow of the game. As I mentioned, Baltimore had two scoring drives that took over six minutes off the clock. It's not like they were having these four and five play scoring drives. And furthermore, Baltimore wasn't stopping San Francisco. The only thing that was stopping San Francisco was San Francisco. The offense was doing whatever they wanted to at the time. I thought it was a miscalculation on Shanahan's part. And he he really underestimated how well the offense was moving the ball and performing. And then eventually it cost the team points. And... Ultimately, it had a bit effect, a big effect on the game. And I know that, you know, is he's a kicker. Robbie Gold should make that kick. But come on, man, you just have to put him put your team in the best position to succeed and running the clock down and playing keep away at that point of the game wasn't the right move. How, you talk about that. You you talked about how you're pretty frustrated. What was your take on the, the end of the half? They controlled the clock at the end of the half at the initial at the initial outset of the the play calling, they ran for a 19-yard gain. And I'm just looking at the game book here. They had another short pass that they converted for 11 yards for another first down. They got behind the sticks again, but they converted. 
at this point, there's so between the first and twenty, they had they picked up eight yards, and the second and twelve that went off at thirty-two seconds, they wasted about forty-five seconds, and then it, they still converted the first down, and then they about twenty-six seconds on the game clock, they threw another pass for five yards, and then they were put behind the chains, and they kept throwing the ball. I mean, I guess if you're concerned about giving the ball back to them, you really didn't need to be concerned. You could have just ran the clock off and gotten closer for an easier chip shot. At the, at that point, it was just inexplicable that they ran off that much time between two plays. And then you put in a situation where Gould has to kick this field goal in, in this weather. And apparently it was blocked. I didn't – that's how it was scored. I didn't – I don't – know where but it was enough that it was short so that they just left points out there I mean they had ample opportunity to run a couple more plays if they hadn't run 45 seconds off the clock if they were really that concerned about it and they just got behind the chains and then it was over from there from that for that half anyways just completely inexplicable I don't they were getting chunk yardage when they needed it and there was no reason to let that much time run off Right. The, the, I would I would be OK with, you know, conceding and keeping the ball away from Lamar Jackson and the, the Ravens because they were rolling in the first half. But it just every time the 49ers ran the ball, it seemed like Mostert had a chance to just break one like he was getting these big chunk plays. So thinking that would change in a situation towards the end of the half where Baltimore probably wasn't going to be that aggressive and they were they were going to, you know, play more of a not so much prevent, but. They were going to call the dogs off to blitz, so to say. So, yeah, wasn't wasn't a big fan of that at all. And I think it did have a a big reason to as to why the 49ers lost the game. You said you weren't too happy with the end of the game, how that ended as well. So the 49ers only had one timeout remaining. I believe it was when the, the Ravens had the ball the last on the last possession. They I think they wasted two timeouts and wasted is in air quotes because I am a big proponent of use your timeouts when you need to do it. Use your timeouts to set up the fourth down decisions to get in the right play. And I will get to the fourth downs later, but I have no problem with using timeouts to get in the right play. How how do you feel about that? I believe they did take a timeout before the fourth down play, didn't they? Yeah. 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 And they, and that was the play they came out with. It was just another inexplicable decision. I mean, I get, you know, if the pass isn't tipped at the line or whatever and Kittle catches it, then you get the first down and you can always second guess that. But at the same time, why wouldn't you just give the ball to the, your best player at who at the time was Mostert and let him try to get the first down or just simply fall forward for a yard as Garoppolo had done on an earlier drive? I there's so many things they could have done and yeah, we, you know, hindsight is always 2020, but I mean, the decision to throw in that spot with that much time left, you just stop the clock base. Well, I mean, it's fourth down anyways, it would have stopped anyways, but there was no need to throw that ball in that spot. They could have picked up a yard, any other of a dozen ways that Shanahan knows how to, and he simply called a pass play that went was trying to go five or six yards downfield in, in that situation. I mean, empty backfield. The defense knows what's coming at that point. And they 
all they need to do is really not rush that hard and just get their hands up at the line because you know you're going to only try a short pass. And that's what happened. I mean, they, they read that play from the snap from the moment they got out of that formation. And I, I just didn't I didn't like the call. I didn't even if they would have completed it, it would have just been a little too risky for me. I mean, Shanahan wasn't risky enough in the first half and he was too risky in the second half with that. So it just two two absolutely mind blowing decisions from the coaching staff there. I just didn't understand it at the time and I don't get why they just didn't try to do what they'd been doing best and stuffing it down their throat. I mean, they didn't need to run up the middle, but you know, an outside zone or a, some kind of toss play to get out on the edge would have probably picked it up the way the, the Ravens were fitting the run. It just wasn't working for them. Yeah. It, it seemed like the running game was just raking on any sort of mid zone or outside off tackle type run. And Kyle Shanahan said after the game that the, the Baltimore just had too many people in the box to run it there. And they, he figured that he, they were going to get that type of look. And Jimmy G said that, you know, they thought they had the right play on and, he had George, but the defensive lineman just made a good play. And Kyle Shanahan also said he doesn't regret calling a pass play in that situation, but he just wished he would have called a different pass play. And if you actually go back to the first fourth down that they went for on Debo Samuel's touchdown play, that was fourth and short. And that wasn't a good play call. They just kind of <laughs> Debo Samuel bailed him out, really. Yeah. I mean, that, that was in jeopardy of being overthrown or not. Debo not yeah. getting there because of the contact between him and the defender. Yeah, it was a 50-50 I mean, ball with two defenders in the area. That's not what you want to do on fourth and one or fourth and two or whatever it was in that situation. Yeah, it just and so many passes do, in those situations don't need to don't need to happen. Yeah, that's very true. And again, I mean, it's easy to second guess. But just the way that they were the way that the plays played out, you can tell it just wasn't the right situation to be in. But I think that there was the right call to go for it on both of those downs. And yeah, just just a bad play. Call, right. So. Yeah. Right call, wrong play. Uh, speaking of penalties and just, you know, there was there was a the, the Ravens didn't get called for a penalty until I believe it was like a minute left in the in the first half. And a lot of people were complaining about that and never really want to go too much into penalties, man, just because the refs are always bad. Like you, we just have to accept the referees are going to be bad and more often than not is going to not favor the 49ers. That is going, that is how it is going to be. So the Ravens finished with, um, they only had three penalties called for 23 yards. The 49ers had six penalties for 54 yards, uh, the the first the first roughing the passer call that gifted uh, Jackson or the the Ravens offense a first down I thought that was just a a bad call or sorry I thought that was actually fine because you can't put your helmet down full speed into the quarterback like that's gonna get called every time and people thought it was a bad or a bad call but that's just that's gonna get called what do you feel about that penalty I believe it was on Shahir I was, I, was, yeah. I can't remember how to pronounce his name apologize for that but Aziz, it went right I mean, the ball al shahir yeah it, it went right by his head i mean he knew the ball was out he had to have heard a whistle <laughs> by his ear hole and then he still put his head down and hit him and it that one was really bad because it was kind of almost a high low because you already had a defender down there on the ground and another de- another offensive player down there engaged in that same block and then shahir came in and just pushed him right over and so that could that could have that could have been very bad for Lamar had he been just, you know, in a in a more awkward position after he'd thrown it. 
So they are always going to call that. Yeah, they are. That's that's a no-brainer to me. I, I wasn't sure why people were complaining about that one. The next roughing the passer call on Sheldon Day, that was a lot more questionable to me. So 300-pound man coming over, trying to tackle the quarterback, running full speed. I don't know how you expect him to let up. I think the penalty was because he went low, which he hit him in yeah. the freaking – he hit him in the uh, the hip pad is what it looked like to me. But, yeah, I'm not sure what he's supposed to do in that situation. I don't know how defenders are supposed to just magically stop their momentum full speed, especially a 300-pound man who's not very athletic. Like, what is he supposed to do in that situation? Well, how would you feel about that call? I thought it was the right call. They're always going to call – a hit like that when you go at around the thigh pad or the knee because it's always going to look like to the ref at full speed in that general region of the knee and you can't go down around the knees like that in the pocket especially after he's thrown it defenders are getting better with controlling their their speed and their body angle and their movement and all that i mean i get that there's going to be times where they you know what are they supposed to do but if at the same time, if Day isn't going low and he just stands up and runs straight at the quarterback, doesn't take him down, they're not going to call it. So they're always looking. The refs, if it's close, they're always going to err on the side of caution. And I think fans need to understand that. And they they do that every game with hits like that. So if it's if it's close, the refs are going to call it. And I know it sucks. And it gave the Ravens a new set of downs, and it was at a key time in the game. But that that's that's how they're always going to call it. And I think players themselves are eventually going to figure it out. There's just going to be instances where they you just can't control it. But the the burden is always on the defender at that point. Yeah, that's fair. They're going to err on the side of caution, and it it is frustrating <clears throat> because as soon as they threw the flag and they said it was on the 49ers, I think everybody, every 49ers fan knew that Baltimore is going to score a touchdown. I think that's probably just the icing on the cake and what made it more frustrating. But let's uh, let's move on to the running game. And I thought the offensive line just manhandled Baltimore all day. And Kittle as well. Kittle only finished the game with two receptions for 17 yards, but he dominated the game from a running from run blocking standpoint. So we've, we talked about some of the poor decision co- – the some of the poor coaching decisions that Kyle Shanahan made, I thought one of his best ones was running backs, just how he, he flowed in the running backs. So Tevin Coleman finished the game with five catch, five carries, six yards. Raheem Mostert <laughs> did not have five carries for six yards. He finished with 19 carries, 146 yards, 7.7 yards per carry. That 146 yards were the most by a 49ers running back since 2016 when some guy named Carlos Hyde ran for 193 yards. Um, I've been on the train saying that Mostert was just a superior runner than Tevin Coleman. I mean, it's it's very obvious just the way that I, I mean, I send you clips all the time just laughing like, damn, man, Coleman, Coleman misses so many holes. It's very frustrating for him to watch him. He's just not a very patient runner. Um, I think Mostert's so much more patient. He's better. He's just more nimble. It's, it feels like, and he doesn't go down on first contact. He's not running full speed into the backs of offensive linemen. And that's why I really like him. I actually made a comparison just, and when I say this, I don't mean like he is him, 
but he reminds me a lot of Aaron Foster just in this type of zone running scheme, the way he is patient, the way he avoids going down on first contact. He obviously has a lot more juice than Foster, but just running style similarity wise, I thought Moser was just outstanding today and he's been very good all season. I know he has like he had a drop or he has the fumbles where it makes it tough to rely on him, but he came through today and I thought that was really good. So what, how did you, how did you feel about um, his performance today? Raheem Mostert. I thought it was fine. They just got back to a little more of their outside zone game for him and it worked. I mean, Coleman was in there and every time we, you saw Coleman get the ball, you knew it wasn't really going to go anywhere. It's just, that's the thing with, with him, he's not—he's not a primary, you know, first, second down back. I mean, Coleman to me has always been more of a pass catching back than anything, and that's what he was more than anything with Shanahan in Atlanta. And so, it makes sense that they went back to Mostert for more of these runs that they, you know, where they got this chunk yardage. Um, it didn't look like they did anything spectacular or change anything up in the running game. They just got back to more of the the outside zone scheme stuff, and they'd been running a lot of a lot more gap scheme in the last several weeks. So it, it worked because the Ravens just were not fitting fitting the run correctly today. Yeah, they really weren't. They were all over the place, and I f- I wonder how much of those gap schemes, just those power runs, were. Just to simplify things, knowing that, you know, your line is out and Kittle's out and Kittle comes back. And we've seen the last couple of weeks just it's been more of a Kyle Shanahan type running offense where, you know, they're getting to the tackle and they're getting to the edge. And, yeah, Mostert is a perfect fit for that. Man, this is uh, he makes he, he gives a very good argument to the people that, you know, to say running backs don't matter you don't draft a running back high or you don't pay for running backs because man you can find guys like Mostert and uh, yeah he's just he's a really good player so let's uh let's move on to the the Ravens good player so Lamar I will, Jackson I will say I will say sorry to cut you off it, it does look like on some defensive formations they're expecting that kind of that gap scheme blocking I mean, they're lined up in one play I'm looking at right now with a looks like a 404 tight front almost, and I think that they're expecting some kind of double team or pulling blocker to get up there on the play side. But they didn't. They didn't. I'm not sure how many times they ran it today, but I don't think they ran it very often. No, that's interesting. I and I imagine that's again tendency breakers. So. You go a month of running heavy gap scheme plays, defenses are going to expect that, and you can bounce back and forth. So that's, again, everything that Shannon, like he's going to be scrutinized, obviously, for the fourth downs and for some of the end of the half coaching decisions, but there's still plenty of good that he does on the game-to-game basis. So moving on, like I mentioned, to Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson finished the game with 105 passing yards. And, I mean, if you say that coming into the game, you're going to think that the 49ers won the game. He ran for 101 yards, 16 carries, 101 yards. And it it didn't seem like, you know, the, the 49ers did a bad job. They actually, I feel like they did a really good job. You have to take into context of just how well this offense has been all season. And the 49ers, uh, there were a couple of games where, again, they just didn't have the right scrape exchange on these zone reads or they just got outflanked they got outnumbered or one of the guys just didn't do their damn job and you just can't have those type of mistakes against this type of offense one mistake 13 yards 
12 yards, um, 14 yards, and all of a sudden Baltimore's in field goal position. How do you feel like the 49ers did against Lamar Jackson today? Overall, not bad. I'm not – and you've got second-half adjustments here in the notes, and I'm not sure that they really made a whole lot of adjustments. Uh, you know, both – I think there were only – each team only had about three possessions in the second half anyways. It was, the second half was over in a heartbeat, it felt like. But it flew I, by. I just – yeah, the whole game kind of – well, the first quarter didn't fly by, and then I, 14-7 found, felt insurmountable at that point, but – <laughs> Anyways, I don't want to digress too much here, but I mean, it, it did when they scored, I realized it was when they scored to tie it at 14, I was like, there's only, oh man, it's, there's only, there's nine minutes left in the second quarter. It felt like it had taken an eternity at that point. Um, I don't know how many adjustments were actually made. I just think they started fitting it a little better. Plus the Ravens didn't run a whole lot of the zone read stuff in the second half with Lamar. They they did on a couple big plays, but I think one thing fans need to need to understand is just because a play looks like zone read doesn't mean it is. And there are a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of design runs that are just straight zone runs where we we've seen this with Kaepernick. They're just not reading anybody and it, it but the handoff and the mesh point looks like zone read to the to the viewer on TV, but he's not actually reading anything. It's just a way to to hand the ball off out of the pistol. So, yeah, I just think that's a good point. And I want to just, yeah. just dive in here real quick. So that is a very good point. And we see it all the time. We see announcers do that. If there is nobody to read just because the quarterback carries out a fake does not mean it's his own read. And, and that happened today. And if you run right at the 49ers or, I mean, just in general, I know the run defense has struggled, but when DJ Jones is on the field, this it, the run defense does not struggle. This is one of the better defenses in the league. And I don't know if it's just because Jones is that much better than Sheldon Day or Julian Taylor, but they are very legit. But yeah, just going back to the point as far as like the zone read goes and just all of the all the option talk, just because. You know, it looks like it just because it's window dressed like a zone read or any sort of triple option, whatever the Ravens are going to throw at you doesn't mean it is. So uh, back. Go ahead. They uh, did Jones come back in the game. I, I didn't. See. I do not know. I don't I don't think so, because I know it, that Taylor came that in. After ex- that. I, I saw that, too, and I don't think I saw him back in after that, and that would explain several of the up-the-gut runs that the Ravens had success with late in the third and fourth quarters because even when they were forcing – at some point in the second half, they were forcing Lamar to give on those zone reads because Bosa would get upfield and he would immediately take the quarterback run away or they would drop a safety down. Like I think Ward came down on one of the zone reads and forced Lamar out of bounds for a two-yard gain, but – when they were forcing him to give it in the second half, they were getting five, six, seven yards a pop right up the middle on the zone portion of the run because, again, I don't think DJ Jones came back in after he got hurt. Yeah, I thought the um, I thought the, the defensive line just did a good job in the second half of getting a push. They were not getting a push in the first half at all. And they kind of reset the line of scrimmage a couple times, and that's how they got Baltimore off the field. You reset the line of scrimmage, you, you – Push the offense, and by that I mean you're pushing the offensive line back. So if let's say the line of scrimmage is on the 40 yard line, the entire defensive line pushes the offensive line back two, three yards. They have 
essentially reset the line of scrimmage. And that's what I mean by that. So I thought they did a good job in the second half of playing in Baltimore's backfield and Fred Warner just doing Fred Warner thing. They just have good players on defense and they needed their their good players to step up and make a play. And that's what happened. So that was good. The other good play, I mean, Marcel Harris, that was ridiculous. He had he needed the, to okay. redeem himself. <laughs> let's talk about the very let's talk about the first play. So first play, Jakuski Tart goes out and Marcel Harris comes in. He's playing essentially like a stack linebacker position. They run zone read at him. He's just ball watching. He's just watching the play. He he's, dives on the, the halfback. Go ahead. And he's not even supposed to. He's supposed to be the scrape exchange gap, you know, the gap exchange defender right there. And that's it's it was the same exact play that Kaepernick hit the Packers with in the playoffs that year. And he took off, yeah. And he took off. And that that just I had a flashback immediately when I saw that that exchange with Harris and the defensive line. It was like just looked like the divisional game from that year and I was like great he's gonna break one but he sure enough he didn't but that was completely 100% his blown assignment oh no doubt about it and like you can you could just tell there was nobody else there it had to be him and I don't I mean you can coach these players to do the right thing but I mean eventually eventually they're gonna have to do their job so next play Harris is caught on the edge, block. He's, I feel like he's being blocked 15 yards down the field, if I remember it right. But he, he gets off the block. Yeah, he, he so he, he gets off the block, gets to Jackson, and just kind of Jaquiski tarts, Jaquiski tart <laughs> versus DK Metcalf, and he just rips the ball out of his hands, and he the 49ers get the ball back, and all of a sudden it goes from the Ravens about to punch it in and go up two possessions to. The 49ers have the ball back. That was just a complete momentum get change. Just a hell of a play by uh, by Harris there. I w- were you surprised that, you know, they went with Harris? I thought maybe they'd go T. Moore or DJ Reed deep and let Ward play in the box. But, yeah, they uh, they went with the bigger guy, the, the harder hitter. And, I mean, it paid yeah. off because he did make some plays. No, I, I completely understand why they did it. I, I wrote about Harris last year, and I think he's a much better box defender than he gets credit for, and that's why he was out there. So, I mean, if, if you're going to go with an extra safety like that in that situation, it's got to be him. He is someone last year who really made his, his bread and butter plays were up around the line of scrimmage and out in space like that he had on that um, he had on that fumble strip or the the, the fumble strip. It's not a thing but when he stripped Lamar there and that's kind of how he plays in the open field I mean he's not a great cover guy and last year he was coming off an Achilles injury from that he had sustained in his final year at Florida but he really that's where he made his bread and butter last year with the team and he did it today just he just had the one brain fart on the on the long run but on that play that was to me that was just you know, vintage Harris, I guess, at that point, because he's he's good like that in the open field, I think. Yeah, no, that he's essentially like, for lack of a better term, he's just like an extra linebacker. I feel like just uh, and I haven't wa- I didn't watch a lot of him in 2018. I watched enough to get a feel that he should not be playing 15 yards down the field or more. But um, yeah, it, it was a really good play. He's a tough guy. And honestly, man, 
some of the, the plays by 51 and 53 today were just getting under my skin over and over and over. Alshahir, um, here. Who else? 53. I forgot who was that. And the Zochi, I think, is who it is. And yeah, man, they, they were just nowhere to be found. Like they were they were very, yeah, there's very a, bad. There's a talent drop off after Warner and and Greenlaw. Yeah, I guess you, you can't you can't be too critical because they shouldn't be playing. So uh, Al Shahir well, is a undrafted rookie and the other guy is a special teamer. So, yeah. Yeah, but it was just the situation they were facing today with the team that doesn't run anything but 21, 22 personnel sets. So you, they had to they had to bring in something with the linebacker group, and those were the other two that they needed. A Greenlaw, I thought he played fine. Warner was great, except for I think he was supposed to carry Andrews across on the one 12-yard completion That's- there toward the end of the game, and I thought if he had stayed and read it like he normally does, he probably would have picked it off because he was, he's right there. He knew where he was supposed to be. He was just a, a hair late with it. He turned and he turned and even glimpsed at the, the tight end, which he yeah. always does. And usually, like you mentioned, he stays in he stays and just carries them through the zone. But yeah, his eyes went back to Jackson. I wonder how much of Jackson running had to do with that because last last week doesn't happen um, all season essentially against players not named Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, or Lamar Jackson. He's just been phenomenal, and, and I mean he he still made plenty of plays in the passing game. But yeah, that one and then the very first one I think was on him as well, uh, just because the the touchdown that is where it was play action. It was actually, it was. it was a really good design by Baltimore. And we should acknowledge that because tight ends coming from across the, across the formation and it's play action. So your eyes are just going to be all over the place. And all it takes is a split second. Warner doesn't react, doesn't carry the tight end. And I mean, it's, it's easy. So I'm looking at it again down the seam. I'm looking at it again and they did run another tight end across and he was watching he was watching the backfield and he had another underneath crosser in front of him so that honestly that's probably just good play design by Greg Roman yeah like they high load him and that is yeah. <laughs> it's what you do that, especially in these matching patterns and at that point i think Warner should know that he should take the deeper of the two but you know it is what it is he think he probably thought he was in a better position than he was and that's what it led to so Let's uh, let's talk about Jimmy G. So Jimmy G was we knew coming in this game that Baltimore was going to blitz the hell out of the 49ers because they blitzed the hell out of everybody coming into the game. Baltimore blitzed opposing quarterbacks on 50 percent of the snaps today. They blitzed Jimmy G on 84 percent of the plays, which is unreal, man. Just a Basically like some Madden type stuff where they're just coming at him. So Jimmy G actually was 21 of 25 when he was blitzed. And let me see what else here. So that and that actually was the highest blitz rate that any QB has faced since Case Keenum in September of 2018. So they clearly wanted to make Jimmy G beat beat them. No, he was which, 12 of 18 on the out of the 21 pressures. He was 12 of 18. Ah, I think see, yep, that was right. my mistake. Yeah, so he was blitzed. Okay, Jimmy G was blitzed on 21 of his 25 dropbacks. Garoppolo was he was sacked twice. 
He was 12 for 18 for 149 yards and a touchdown against the Blitz. That's my mistake, yeah. Um, that still was the highest Blitz rate that has happened in the NFL since September of 2018. So, yeah, they were definitely going to come out after Jimmy. Uh, how do you think uh, Jimmy played today? I thought he played fine. Uh, he had the one fumble, which um, just that's his one gimme for the game. That's his just his the one giveaway, and that was the bonehead play of the game. And it really, I thought I saw someone pin the entire game on that one play because the Ravens scored a touchdown. But with the way the Ravens were moving the ball in the first half, even if they had punted there or you know gotten out of it and punted and then gave the ball back to the Ravens deeper. They, you know, who's to say they wouldn't have marched right down again? But I, after just aside from that, I thought he was fine. You know, at a certain point, you do have to account for quarterbacks throwing in the rain, and some passes just look like they were thrown in the rain. He, you know, I, he, some he struggles with ball placement, and I'm sure the rain affects that. But on a lot of throws. I thought they were fine. There were some that were kind of, I wish he wouldn't have thrown it there. Like when the, the, the triple covered, I can't remember when, when it was, I think it was early in the second half, but it was just a throw and a triple coverage and they still caught it. But you know, those are the, those are the plays that if anybody's going to throw them and he's going to, you know, he's going to be the guy that's, that can do it. You just sometimes wish he wouldn't do it. But for the most part, I don't really have any gripes with how he's played lately minus the couple stupid plays that he has a game, but those really aren't game-changing plays to begin with. So, I, And I just think the fumble was too early in the game to say it would have affected the game either way. Yeah, that's fair. And, you, I mean, you you can't fumble the ball, and everybody agrees with that. You just you can't turn the ball over there. You have to have some sort of ball security, knowing that Baltimore is a team that is going to just – come after you like that and on that play to me it looks like Daniel Brunskill for whatever reason tried to scoop and score <laughs> I don't know why he didn't just fall on the ball but if he falls on the ball they punt it and you force Baltimore to drive 60 70 yards and like you mentioned the way that the game was going there I mean there's a strong chance that Baltimore just comes right down and scores so I don't think that had like the 49ers did not lose the game because Jimmy Garoppolo fumbled the ball at that point it hurt. There's no doubt about it. You cannot give them a short field and just gift them points. But yeah, I thought he played fine. He finished 15 for 21, 165 yards, 7.9 yards average with a touchdown. This I thought he did a good job actually of avoiding sacks. I know he was sacked twice, but there were a couple plays where I, I really am impressed with his mobility and just buying more time and dumping it off to running backs. It might only turn into four or five yard gains, but those are much better than seven-yard losses. And that's how and this offense, especially knowing that Kyle Shanahan can scheme, scheme open guys, um, you just have to you have to be able to stay ahead of the chain, stay on, stay on track. And some of his placement was off. There was a one to the third down to Emmanuel Sanders where they had to punt the ball. Uh, Sanders ran his route like a yard short of the sticks. He has to dive for a ball. Jimmy G probably completes that if the game next week, like that is going to be a, a pass that he completes because it's indoors yeah. and it's not thrown in the rain or uh, the the diving play by Kittle. Like there are some plays where receivers have to make plays as well. And Kittle made that play. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't pin the loss on Jimmy G at all. And I actually think fine. Jimmy is good enough to 
for the 49ers to, you know, honestly win it all. He doesn't have to be superhero Jimmy. He just can't be boneheaded Jimmy. There can't be these the 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 throws where he throws it into triple coverage. I mean, the the fourth down to Debo, that I don't know, I don't remember what the other routes were, and so I don't have a problem with throwing it up and giving your guy a chance to make a play. But yeah, throwing into triple coverage, that are obvi- those are obviously the ones that you just can't have. Yeah, early mistakes don't bother me as much as some of the late game mistakes, like the one in the Cardinals game a couple weeks ago, the second Cardinals game, the interception in the fourth quarter. Just inexplicable. But again, he's not doing that all the time in the fourth quarter late, you know, so it's it doesn't really bother me as much. Um, the fourth down pass, the touchdown to Debo. Yeah, it was, you know, Debo bailed him out. But in that situation, early first quarter, you got to get points when you can get them. And I'm, I'm fine with that. I didn't really, there's really nothing to, to ding him on for that. It, could, could it have been placed better? Sure. It was also pouring rain. So it might have been placed better in, in a perfect weather game. Um, I will say, I do think the pass interference that Sanders drew, I think was 100% meant to be overthrown because of that situation that they were in and needing to get yards i definitely think sanders sold it and i think that was meant to go over his head and for him to try to make a play like that so little little chess game with shanahan there but i'm fairly certain that they weren't was, to should they have called that penalty the on sanders or, see, or like, that's the was it a penalty i guess is the question i by the letter of the law, yeah. I mean, could. <laughs> but see, that's the thing is like there's no point in challenging it at that point because it would probably upheld because you, when you slow down, you can see contact was made early through the back of the receiver. So they're going to – that that flag is going to stand 100% of the time under review. If they wouldn't have called it, they probably wouldn't have overturned it to a penalty in review either. So – it's a judgment call and you're, you know, you're asking the refs to review essentially a judgment call every week with these stupid pass interference reviews. But that's, that's I firmly believe they were trying to draw that type of uh, flag in that situation. Cause there was no way they were going to complete a pass like that down the sideline. Should Jimmy Ward have been flagged for pass interference? Uh, see, this is the, this one has gotten a lot of attention oh, by yeah former officials on Twitter in the last couple of hours. And I'm fine with it. I thought it was, I thought the way they officiate pass interference, that you have to play through the back of the receiver to get the call. I thought it was fine because the contact looked shoulder to shoulder to me. And that's what Dean Blandino said. And people have issue with that. I know a few of the former officials, uh, Terry McCauley and John Perry, who are both on Twitter thought it was pass interference and that they should have overturned it to pass interference. I don't so know. I don't... Even in our even in our zebra football zebras Slack chat that half the group is saying it they were fine with the no call and a couple other people are saying it should have definitely been called. So who who knows? Yeah, it pass interference is becoming the new what is a catch, you know. That is so annoying, too, because it should not be like that. And I mean, I, I understand both. I understand both arguments. I really do. 
But as a DB coach and someone who lives their life surrounded by defensive backs, man, you have to like you have to go up and get that. He has a chance to make a play on the ball. He's going to do that. I mean, I don't think I really think it has to be egregious to make a call. Um, And I don't think that was anywhere near pass interference. But I am also very partial to defense in this situation. So, yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm an offensive guy by trade, so I, you know, if you want a better, if you, if you want the call there or whatever, or don't, or you don't get what you want, throw a better pass. I mean, yep, the, the, he some. left the pass sailing on Andrews at that point, and Ward has just as much of a right to the ball as the receiver does. So, I, like I said, I'm fine with it. I didn't think the contact warranted a flag, and neither did the refs. So, I'm I'm not gonna lose sleep over it. Yeah, Ward, Ward playing the ball the whole way and going up to get it probably helped. And, um, yeah, I, I just don't think Andrews had much of a shot. Like, he didn't he didn't impede his progress. I don't think it was – I don't think it was a, as big of a deal as people are making it out to be. But the only thing that makes it a, a spectacle now is the fact that you can review pass interference. If, if they don't – if they're not able to review pass interference, then nobody's talking about that call, you know, two hours after the game. All right, let's talk about plays of the game. So we talked about the Jimmy G fumble. That was, I mean, that had a lot to do with the momentum early on in the first half, but obviously it didn't change the entire complexion of the game. So was what was the play of the game that really stood out to you? Hmm. As far yeah, as momentum changing or game changing on both sides or, hmm, that's a tough one. Yeah, because- I, I and there might it might not be one. There might not be a play of the game because it was a very evenly matched game. I thought honestly, this is, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I honestly thought we we just talked about it earlier too. Is the twelve yard catch that Andrews had? All things considered, that was a the drive that they needed to get a stop on, and that was the play that extended that drive. It's not a glamorous or spectacular play by any means. It was just a simple 12-yard completion from Jackson to, to Andrews and kept the drive going, and they were unable to stop him after that. They, they needed to get a stop on that down specifically, you know, and you never want to give up a 12-yard completion like that, you know, especially when you have them backed up on second down. So it is what it is. That's probably the play of the game on both sides of the ball is giving up that simple completion. Yeah, and that's usually what it comes down to. Some sort of second and long or third and long where the defense doesn't convert, and that's really all she wrote. So I think it – I mean, it has to be the fourth down for me. Just fourth and fourth and one on Baltimore's 35-yard line. There's six minutes and 33 seconds to go. You have a chance to – you convert here. You probably eat up at least two more minutes, at the very least two more minutes off the clock. And then you put the onus on Baltimore – to just they have to now score under four minutes so they're not going to be able to you know run their qb powers which they converted on or you know just the short yardage stuff that they're able to get four five and six on and just keep stay ahead of the chain so not converting there was huge and obviously it comes in the fourth quarter when you have a chance to take the lead so i'm going to go there but again there were a lot of plays where the 49ers had their opportunities and they just didn't make the most of them. And that, I mean, you cannot do that against yeah. the Baltimore Ravens. That's it. That's but it. I mean, it's all both it teams. Both teams only scored three points in the second half. 
I mean, the, the yeah. defense shut him out the entire second half until the last three seconds of the game. So opportunities were there on both sides, and no one really capitalized on it in the second half until Baltimore did on those two very crucial plays, stopping him on fourth down and getting that completion. It was it it, it was a I thought it was a very good game by the 49ers defense, considering who they were playing, where they were playing, and the the weather. Not to mention not having, and I'm not going to, he's not the best player, obviously, but DJ Jones is a very critical part of the 49ers defense. And not having him down the stretch, it hurt. And they weren't able to get Lamar in these longer down and distances. So uh, that hurt for sure. Uh, do you have a player of the game? Who's your player of the game? My player of the game is going to be Raheem Mostert. Raheem Arian Foster Mostert. Love it. Um, yeah, I'm I'm honestly going to give it to the 49ers offensive line. So I've been bagging on Mike McGlinchey. And the last two weeks, I thought he's been excellent, man. He's been very, very good. As a run blocker, on Mostert, on the long Mostert run, he had a peelback block. I don't know if you saw it, where he kind of just spun back and picked up the linebacker who was running free up the middle of the up the middle or up off tackle and he just nails him and Mostert's able to go free. And obviously Mostert stiff arms somebody to hell and he shakes Earl Thomas to score. But there was some really good blocking on that play. I think Debo had a good block as well. So I think the offensive line did a good job of just creating running lanes and they just, they owned the Ravens up front. So the 49ers are able to get back on track and just get this running game in gear. We saw the kind of the, how easy it was to throw the ball you know, and just Shanna, if you allow Shanahan to scheme pass plays open when you have success on the running game, they'll be in good shape. I'm not I'm not worried at all after this game, just the 49er success, which means takes us to Monday Night Football. So if Seattle beats the Vikings, Seattle will now be in first place. The NFC West obviously don't want that to happen. You don't want to go on the road. You don't want to be a wild card team, especially after the start that they had. I'm not so sure that they Seattle does win. Um, I don't. I think they're frauds, man. I know they're nine and two, but I I don't think they're very good. Um, I I feel like they've won. They've won so many one possession games, and they've they're winning these games by like two and three points, and it's not even against good teams. So, uh, hopefully the Vikings prove a, prove me right. And before we get out of here, how worried do you think the 49ers beat the Saints? Yeah, I'm not worried about it. They. I don't know. The, the Saints, just I just don't buy them either sometimes. They honestly might have been playing better with Bridgewater, and I hate saying that, but <laughs> they just don't. They were. I, they're not explosive. I, mean, I, I don't know. They didn't. They, yeah, they're not. They're not anymore. They, they can't keep – they're not going to keep giving the ball to Taysom Hill, and they've effectively neutralized their own running back with Alvin Kamara. I mean, he doesn't even – he he doesn't even get a lot of touches it seems lately. So they've shown that they can contain immobile quarterbacks and Drew Brees is as immobile as they come. I have no no concerns about this game whatsoever. So I'm I'm not gonna go no concerns, but I think the 49ers win just because, like I mentioned. They're, you're not explosive, and you don't have many explosive players. Obviously, Kamara is a great back, and he breaks all type of tackles. And I wonder if we see more Taysom Hill, considering how much success Lamar Jackson had. 
He's obviously not Lamar Jackson, but Taysom Hill is a very good athlete. But, yeah, I just don't see the Saints. And I know they're at home, but I just don't see the Saints beating this 49ers team. The defensive line is going to be very good against the Saints. The the speed on the defense is going to take over, and they're probably going to create some turnovers. It'll come down to being able to protect Jimmy G, which the offensive line is turning in the right way as of late, which shout out to Daniel Brunskill, by the way, who's been absolutely lights out since he when he started and even starting at a different position he started at left tackle for the first time today and we never called his name other than the freaking fumble but i just don't um i'm not so sure how the the saints match i don't think they match up well and i really can't wait to dig into it but yeah i'm i'm just it really comes down to the vikings if the vikings can beat the seahawks uh the 49ers should be sitting pretty so um anything else before we get out of here rich no, I think that about covers it for me. What will you be like? What captured your attention? What are you going to write about this week? What do you think? I'm interested to dive into more of the Ravens running game and what they did on offense to basically go on those long sustained drives. It, that whole writing about somebody else's offense is fascinating to me, especially since it's one we've seen in the past with the 49ers. So I'm probably going to look at what the Ravens did to get the plays they needed. And that means diving into a little more of the zone read stuff. And then also basically maybe see if there were any second half adjustments that show up outside of the broadcast angle in the second half to see how they took it away. So we'll see. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if maybe they, they moved they moved um, their three tech to a four. If they they didn't have their linebackers in thirties, they had them in forties. You know, just different like small adjustments that you probably won't see just watching the game every play or watching the game on a snap to snap basis. So yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Um, next week, 49ers are currently three point underdogs to the Saints. So essentially, it's a, a push or a pick them. Um, yeah, I don't. I'm going to be interested to see to rewatch this game and see how well the offense offensive line played and yeah to see if the uh see what showed up i i was really big on um the lack of good from the third linebacker today so i want to see how much they really cost them or if that was just me being a prisoner of the moment and letting emotions get the best but uh rich where can we find you on the twitters uh, you can find me on twitter at rich j madrid You can find me at KP underscore show. Thanks for listening, guys, and we will be back next week.